You're listening to the AID Network. Look, it's Disneyland. Jared. Yes, sir. You know I'm crazy. Mm, indeed. Crazy about Disneyland. Mm-hmm. And you know that next Friday, July 17th, you can find me over on Twitch or over on YouTube broadcasting an entire day of Disneyland. Oof. That is crazy. Now, how do we do? Do we have to sign up? Do we have to just show up? Do we have to go just for the show day? Up. Okay. Just got to show up. You can show up for a minute. You can show up for all 18 hours. You can show up whenever you want. You can just be like, I wonder where he's at in the park right now. You can go over to youtube.com slash adventures in design or twitch.tv slash AID network. And you can find me live. You can chat with me. You can ask me questions. Wow. You can go on a ride with me. You can just hang out with me like, I want to keep Disneyland alive on the 17th. And when they said, we can't open, I said, oh, but I can and I will. (laughs) Can't keep the good man down. No. That sounds exciting. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. And, you know, maybe if you watch and you get intrigued, you're like, Bricky, I won in the park. Maybe you'll hop in and hang out with me for that a little bit. That would be great. Yeah, absolutely. I would love it. I would Special love guest. <laughs> Special guest. Now, Jared looks a little interesting because he's in a room and I'm in Disneyland. But, eh, <laughs> it's what imaginations are for, right? I'll wear my mask. So if you want to find me on one of those two streaming services over on YouTube at Adventures in Design or over at Twitch.tv at AID Network, you can join me on Friday, July 17th for an entire operational day of Disneyland. And you can catch me over on Twitch TV this Friday as I've been practicing each and every Friday doing a three-hour stream from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Disneyland time, just getting ready for the big endurance thon celebrating 65 years of Disneyland on Friday, July 17th. What do you say we get started with today's episode right after this? Hey, Disney fans, do you have a Disney fan brand? Do you like to show your your fandom by making the limited edition merchandise for you and all of your friends? Or do you like to design a shirt for the family to wear to go out to the park? Did you know that you can do all this and save money and get free shipping? By listening to this show, head over to our sponsor, jackprince.com, where you can get site-wide discounts by going to jackprince.com slash C-O-T. That stands for Circle of Trust, and Jack Prince has been a supporter of Adventures in Design, the AID Network, and the Circle of Trust since the very beginning. And they passed that sponsorship over to you by giving you a discount site-wide. So whatever you're making for your fan brand, head over to jackprince.com slash C-O-T, save some money, get some free shipping, and who knows? Maybe you'll discover a product to let you share your fandom with all your friends and fans. This is the story of a beautiful place known as the happiest place on earth. And all of its history, its secrets, and its tricks that you may find if your mind believes in design. And you allow your heart to believe in magic. Step inside and become a citizen of Disneyland. Greetings, fellow citizens of Disneyland. As you know, my citizenship still pending, but that's not stopping me from keeping the magic alive 
each and every Wednesday, it's my proud honor to take you and some of my friends out to Disneyland. Now, I know the gates aren't opening up next Friday, but that doesn't mean that we can't stop and celebrate 65 years of Disneyland being a true American classic. Speaking of American classic, thank you so much to everybody who reached out to me about how last week's episode, a very deep and personal and emotional episode, letting me know how that resonated with you. And so many people shared fantastic stories about Disneyland and what it means to them and its relationship to America. So I sincerely appreciate that. But this week, Jared is back on the show and we're going to take a lap around Walt's original Magic Kingdom, celebrating the attractions that have been there for the entire 65-year history. Today, we celebrate the OGs of the Disneyland Park. Today, we celebrate the class of 1955. So do me a favor. Do yourself a favor. Go back into your imagination. Close your eyes. Hear the sounds and see the sights of Disneyland. It's episode 27 of Disneyland for Designers, the class of 1955. Jared. Yes, sir. I am so happy that today you're on time. Well, actually, it's me that's always late. So I'm happy that you're on Bricky Mouse time and that we're standing here in the very historic Main Street train station, one of our favorite places in the park. Absolutely. Today, Jared and I are going to be looking at the class of 1955. It's so interesting as we come upon the 65th anniversary to Mm. think about some of these things have been here for 65 years and with little to no revision, which is pretty incredible in this world where everything moves so fast and something like Disneyland where it's like, if it doesn't work, it gets ripped out. Something else gets put there. This is valuable real estate. So for some of these attractions to still be a part of the culture and of experience 65 years later, that's a huge win in pop culture. Oh, absolutely. I think there are a few things that, um, you know, not only survive the time, but feel relevant still. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't feel like a museum piece or, or something like that. I think something like uh, Autopia or something like that still feels like uh, probably about the same as it did back then. Right. I mean, we have more exciting things to ride now, but I think that thrill of riding a little car still pretty good. The interesting thing about how things age yeah, is some of these things do feel a bit dated, but in a nostalgic way. Mm-hmm. And there's yeah. a difference between dated nostalgia and then just outdated. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of these things that stayed the test of time stayed that way because they were pretty much instant classics. Like, we could go through the entire park and we could do a 12-hour podcast. We're not doing it. So, obviously, Main Street opening Mm -hmm. day uh, attraction. I think of it as an attraction. You know, it's home of the Disneyland band and the the Main Street cinema, but this is just pure perfection. Main Street has required the least amount of editing over the years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. No, I agree. Uh, But Disneyland's one of those rare places where... um, their goal on top of being sort of pioneering is maintaining that charm, right? Maintaining yes. and not um, 
updating Main Street to be futuristic, but to keep that charm intact and painted and looking great. I think that's what the difference is with other theme parks where uh, things um, tend to get old and then replaced, not you know, refurbished or, or updated. It's like it's time for that thing to go. Uh, but the whole point of Disneyland is to keep these things looking as sharp and clean. Uh, you know, maybe the nuts and bolts have changed, but uh, the charm is is kept up. Well, I know that you're big on charm. And one of the things that they do to keep it so charming and so that it doesn't have to be like, well, Main Street's ready to just get a wrecking ball sent mm-hmm. to it. Is if you're not from Southern California and you don't go to the park all the time like we do and you just visit uh, during the peak vacation times, you may not be aware because this really surprised me when I became a true Disneylander. uh, A lot of these attractions close annually and sometimes Mm. it's for a week and sometimes it's for a month, but everything at Disneyland at some point goes down so they can go back over it with a fine tooth comb. Sometimes it's just a, a, a paint job to just keep it to where it's at. But some of these buildings over my last seven years of going to the park, you know, uh, once a week, some of these buildings tonally, they change a little bit. You know, the mm-hmm. the bricks get more contrasty. I mean, just Sleeping Beauty Castle. I mean, that's a prime yeah. example of something that has changed several times in just the last decade. And here we have the newest version of it, which I would say is Sleeping Beauty Extreme. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's uh it glows. <laughs> it does. And it has yeah. you know, paintings on it, the the the, the wishing stars and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. it's interesting the way that, you know, a lot stays the same, but there's always a steady little drip of new new. But um and you know, not especially nowadays that doesn't go unnoticed, no, right? No. Like no, I, nothing can go unnoticed. A brick changes and there's blog posts and outrage and petitions and things like that, which is sign my guess, petition to boycott the Disneyland brick. <laughs> Walt would have wanted that brick to stay the same. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of all a big game, and I think yeah. Disneyland holds this sort of special place, right? Like, like uh, they can update a castle somewhere else, but don't touch Disneyland's, even though that would probably be primed for the the most like, oh, this is your park, like let's make this a bigger castle, or add on to it, or expand it wider, or something like that. But no, it's like we want to keep it at the scale. Well, you bring up an excellent point because the Tokyo Castle was a one to one replica right am i right tokyo was it hong kong tokyo for the castle was was a complete replica of what we have here in disneyland i think hong kong looked like hong kong okay yeah yeah yeah. because they're getting the big right tokyo japan hong kong is inside of china correct yeah yeah so yeah yeah so the hong kong park pretty small park their castle works really well because it has actual like mountainy like grassy meadows Mm. behind it so it looks real but it was the exact one-to-one replica of sleeping beauty's castle and they've gone Mm. through it and they've really extended it they've made it taller some would say they've maybe put too much story into it but (laughs) could you imagine the you, you want to talk about what walt would do and the fan outrage if they said hmm We've now got a bigger movie screen in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. People can see it from everywhere. The merchandise is cruising. Maybe it's time to put Sleeping Beauty behind scaffolding and give her a couple extra layers. Oh, people would go nuts. 
I know, I know. But it's like, it's the rare place, I think, that that's the case. Yeah. I mean, I think any any change, particularly the American parks, uh, gets a lot of attention no matter what, right? There's loud voices on both sides. But Disneyland feels particularly uh, precious, uh, you know. So, I don't know. I, I'm fine with it. I love it. I would hate for it to change or, or um, you know, even when I get to paint job, I get nervous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because it's such a part of it. Um, so I even had a hard time with this last paint job because it went from an aqua color to a, a much deeper blue. And, you know, and that wasn't to say the original color either. But still, any change, it's like transition. It's an interesting thing, Sleeping Beauty, over the years. Mm-hmm. As cameras have gotten more and more intense, mm-hmm. higher resolution, they have painted the castle to be higher resolution and more intense. So... If you go back to 55, into the 60s, into the 70s, it started mm-hmm. out very, very pale and muted. And it yeah. slowly, like if you're in Photoshop and you got those color wheels and you're just dragging over to get more and more saturation, it's almost like that's what Sleeping Beauty has done over the last 65 years. It's just got <laughs> exactly more satur- saturated, more extreme. That's true. Yeah. You can even add like glitter filters now, right? <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> It is the Snapchat of yeah. it's the beauty filter uh, of castles. <laughs> well, where I wanted to start today, as we do a lap around Walt's original Magic Kingdom, you know, and one of the things that makes this park so special is, of course, it's the first, but it's also the only one that Walt ever set foot on. And that kind of that that ghost of Walt Disney, that that shadow mm-hmm. of this guy that had this big dream, um, that's really rooted into this park. At, at this point, Mickey is the mascot for children. Walt is the mascot for adults. Would you would you argue that concept? Um, I think uh, now more than ever. Yeah. yeah, for sure, for sure. So when we step here at the Disneyland Railroad. Which originally in 55 was the Santa Fe and Disneyland Railroad. Walt's father had a cousin who worked for the real Santa Fe Railway. And right out of the gate, everything in Disneyland comes from somewhere else. Like every name, if you just, if you stumble across them in Disneyland, research the name, you pull that thread, you will realize that all stories lead somewhere. Like nothing's just named gratuitously. But what I find fascinating about Disneyland is in 1947, eight years before we could walk into the park, Walt starts collecting trains. He had a bad injury. He and Roy got into playing polo, and that's a pretty rugged sport. He's putting mm-hmm. some wear and tear on him. Also, I mean, he was a first-class businessman, probably always burning the candle at both ends, probably always at the office, probably not the healthiest guy ever, didn't live super late, loved to eat the cigarettes. So in 1947, he transfers over into collecting trains as his hobby. Because like most true entrepreneurs, it's a bit of a sickness. I'm a workaholic. I know you're a workaholic. And all of our friends that are entrepreneurs, like our work is a big obsession because it becomes part of your identity. Everybody knows you as the guy that makes things cute. Everybody knows me as the guy that won't shut up and somehow figured out how to get people to pay him to keep talking. Like all of us have this identity that comes from our work and I'm sure Walt was no different so being addicted is a part of the entrepreneur's personality he goes from collecting trains in 47 to 48 moving up to these bigger trains that only rich guys Mm -hmm. could buy that you could actually sit on and cruise around 49 he builds his family's estate the manor 
taking yeah. some of that Disney money, cashing it in, spending it on the family. And he purchased acreages in Los Angeles. And by 50, he's got his own train line running in his backyard. And he's cruising around yeah. on a train called the Lily Bell, which we know that name is resonating here in the park. So for three years, he's running around his yard on his own train, letting friends come over, letting friends of friends come over. And you know what happens to the party? You let too many people come to the party. Eventually, somebody's going to break the party. And in 53, a guest was driving the train, took a turn too sharp, and had an accident where a young girl got injured. Now, I'm going to tell you, don't feel sorry for that girl. Don't feel sorry for anyone in this accident because this may have been the best accident ever because he goes, this is a huge liability. I got to get this train off my property. And then he starts kicking the can down the road of what if I put a little amusement park next to Disney Studios, Walt Disney Pictures. Mm -hmm. So because of this accident in 53, he's kicking the can and this is becoming a bigger and bigger idea. And eventually they realize the land's too small and Burbank doesn't want it. And the idea of Disneyland is born. And I'm saying, if he didn't hurt himself playing polo, if he didn't have the addictive personality yeah. of wanting bigger and bigger trains until he's like, I've worked hard in this world. I've made some coin in my career. I deserve a real train. I want my own train line. Disneyland gets born off of this strange occurrences that happen relatively in a very, very tight timeline. Because back then, yeah. people just moved faster because, quite frankly, you had a lot less time. You had a lot less options. You could narrow in on what you wanted to do, and you could go for it. So, Jared, the reason why I wanted to stand inside of the train station while we're waiting for today's Disneyland Railroad to pick us up is this little train in front of us. This is a replica of the Lily Bell that Walt used to ride around his backyard. And I say to the stranger that hurt the, the, the young girl in the backyard, in a weird way, thank you for being careless. Thank you for being <laughs> reckless. I, I normally would like to say safety first at Disneyland, but thank you for messing up Walt's backyard. So Disneyland became the world's backyard. <laughs> that's true. I guess that's a good way to look at it. But wouldn't you, if we look at an alternate universe, of course, where Disneyland does exist, but say they had gotten a little further with that little side park by the studio, that it was just this tiny so little cute. thing. You know, and even if they got to do it and he said, well, this isn't enough, you know, this is this is sort of what his appetite to do something bigger. But if that little park existed, oh, man, because I look at the scale of the one he had at his house um, and some of the other Disney employees had similar like Ward Kimball had a similar kind of setup. I love that scale. I think that might be my favorite scale. It's a weird scale, it right? It, it's it's not Disneyland size, but it's not a toy train set. It's it's a Storybook Land Canal boats. It's something like Which that. Which I right? love. I <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Where I grew up, there was a, a safety town where you could go and ride your bike around these little buildings. So you were basically mm. learning how to navigate the streets and signs yeah, and all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I used to. Even when I was too old for Safety Town, I would have to go over there yeah. and just look at the models. I've always been amazed by modeling and scale. And you're absolutely right. When I look at what they refer to as Walt's Little Park, I think that if it would have happened, Your Disneyland probably please. still would have happened. But mm -hmm. that would have ended up being more 
in retrospect, if they were both running, that would end up being mm-hmm. more of like a, a really well-groomed and manicured city park. You yeah. know, that's the yeah. vibe that it has to it. More of a city park than an amusement park. For sure. And to see what he would have done with that, like if he could have just sort of hung around that concept for a little bit and how that might have changed city parks in general or whether it's California or just everywhere. Um, But just to see how that scale gets played out a little bit more, just a little bit more, because it probably would have been a merry-go-round like there is and and just, you know, some variations on this. But still, I would have loved to have seen like just a few steps into that park before he went and did Disneyland. But I am thrilled we have Disneyland. Well, the thing about Disneyland is is the the idea went from you know, we're going from little trains to bigger trains to a, a city park to basically build in a small town, uh, the, the the town of Disneyland. And mm-hmm. in that growth, one of the things that happened in the early Disneyland, the, the original settlement in, in 55, is it did very much have a park feel to it. And partially mm-hmm. because they bit off more land than they could chew, which is smart because you want to be able to grow because of budget restrictions. Mm-hmm. A lot of it kind of got filled out with a park-type grooming. And I also think that I don't know how much of that was planned, but it is definitely carried over into the legacy of all Disney parks worldwide. And if you go to a Six Flags or a different kind of park, it doesn't have that same sort of in-depth manicuring where there's an enormous amount of energy put on the landscaping and the plants and sort of the city design of how the sidewalks grade into the main trailways. And when they opened up Galaxy's Edge, that was one of the things my Disneyland trained eye was really studying is how much of this new land follows that same principle of landscaping, crowd flow, trailways, walkways, mm-hmm. major roads, expedition, exploration. Like, And they, they really kept it to the template, even though it's a much, much different property. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, it's, it's, it's weird, though, because Disneyland uh, set the pace for so much of yes. this. It's hard to look at anything out. Like, you almost have to take everything else at a different sort of level because it just doesn't... It doesn't make sense, and you can you can see I think in a lot of these other parks where it's these financial decisions, sure. and I think Disney's in general has gotten very good about masking a lot of that because it does happen at Disney. There are obviously budgetary concerns, but they've created this whole way of talking in park speak, you know, that that hides these things or that addresses these things without making it look like we ran out of money here or we're not going to spend a lot of money on this little area in front of the ride. We're putting it all on the ride. Um, So it's it's weird to compare Disneyland to anywhere else, uh, even Disneyland to other Disney parks, because I I feel like um, this theme park language that they developed is so specific and like native to this park. Because uh, you even look at uh, across the way at California Adventure, and it, it's a slightly different language. Yeah. So you know, building on the same you know moral idea of it, but still a very different uh, version of this of this language. Wouldn't you say that Disneyland feels more like a park, and California mm-hmm. Adventure feels more like a city in that mm-hmm. it, it's more of a road design versus a trail design. And even Disneyland in its widest points, it still has that sort of swivel in the road, all the little different bends that just makes it feel like you're just walking on this trail and you have no idea what's around the bend, but everything else has been awesome. So whatever's around that yeah. corner is going to be awesome too. Yeah, it's like um, 
DCA is like Canada. It's kind of similar. Well, you know, <laughs> there are similarities. My here. analogy for Canada is: is Canada is America's little brother that goes. My yeah. little brother is older, crazy, and reckless, and and he's totally my hero. But when I get older, I don't exactly want to be like my brother because he's a bit of a maniac. <laughs> so little brother Canada is yeah. like, I seen what my older brother did. I think I would go a little bit more conservatively <laughs> in this direction. I think that's true. I think that's a good metaphor, though, for for DCA, right? Like, yeah. I, the problem would be to compare DCA too strongly to Disneyland. That that's unfair, right? Like, you, you got to have it's got to set up its own little goal and and like where it's going and let it be its thing and not be like I want it to feel like Disneyland. It's like being a Baldwin brother, you know, and you have all the other Baldwin <laughs> brothers around you, and you have to find a way to separate yourself from the pack. Board the Disneyland Railroad. We're now embarking on a grand circle tour of the Magic Kingdom with stops at New Orleans Square, Mickey's Toontown, and Tomorrowland, followed by a visit to the Grand Canyon and Primeval World. We got a lot of traveling ahead of us. So, as we get on the Main Street train station okay. and we hop on the Disneyland Railroad, I always look at this and just think, you know. This is uh, a rich guy's toy. I mean, on mm-hmm. opening day, July 17th, 55, you know, you can debate. Justin Scard's going to tell you the 18th was the real opening because 17th is a media day. But everybody has their own opinion. It seems like we've decided as a as a Disneyland nation to really celebrate the 17th because that's when people got in there and it came to life. But that mm-hmm. morning, Walt himself drove the train right up. To the opening, you know, to to meet ABC TV and Ronnie Reagan and to get the whole party started. And, you know, the train, much like the park, was it was just a big toy that he was so excited to have and couldn't wait to share it with with everyone. And I think really what separates Disneyland from from all the other parks that Disney's built is this was Walt's toy and he would walk up to it. He would talk to all of the cast members that worked on the train, that drove the train. Like He wanted to get in there with the boys and talk shop until somebody grabbed him by the mm. arm and like, we got some decisions to make over the Jungle Cruise. And then when he got over the Jungle Cruise, yeah. these are my boats. This is my jungle. What are we doing over here? And I think that real like ownership from a very, very creative and business-savvy mind, I think that is what poured all of the details into this place that – Celebrating the the management of Disneyland. 65 years later, they know the history, they know the heritage, and they understand everything they do in here has to be with purpose, with meaning. And and it has to somehow pay tribute to the history that came before it. And what I love about becoming a student of Disneyland is you start to realize every idea comes somewhere from back in the archives. Mm. True. Well, I mean, which is great, yeah. right? Like that that should be your first place to go and just see like, you know, any kind of original vision. As a student of Disneyland, like you said, which I think is interesting, one of the things I've been looking at a lot more since we've kind of dove deeper into this concept is the uh the World's Fair stuff. Oh, so impressive. Um, which it, it it makes Disneyland it puts Disneyland in an interesting position once you see that because there are, if you look at Disneyland like a theme park or like a carnival thing, then it's very easy to say it's it's its own thing and, and far beyond. But then you start seeing it in context of these world's fairs, whether it's Chicago, New York, uh, you know, 
anything before 64, which everyone kind of knows because of the Disney connection. But you see these other things before and you start to see where this concept kind of came from. Walt is a very specific version of this thing, but these fairs were so elaborate and to see them, you know, they didn't develop it in a cohesive sort of message. They tried to. There's a theme or something like that. But And I think that's where Walt like really perfected it, made it very American, not so global. You know, everyone can enjoy it, but it is very American. Um, But then you start seeing that and you kind of start seeing sort of the relative idea of of where something this big could come from. Now, Disneyland, in comparison to the World's Fairs, is still tiny, right? Like these these fairgrounds were huge and stuff like that. But to look at this as a permanent fixture, something that would stay forever, um, I don't know, it's just a very interesting thing to start looking at and seeing like what the um, public's mindset right. might have been towards something like this, how foreign it was, or is it like, oh, this is kind of like what they did in Chicago or something like that, but uh, an interesting historical period. Well, in last week's episode, I did uh, a solo episode just to kind of keep it where it needed to be. I did the uh, patriotism yeah. of Disneyland, and I really try to convey mm-hmm. to the people, you know, forget where we're at today. Let's just put our 1955 hats on. You yeah. know, before Walt had all of these blockbuster franchises that generations had, were raised on, you know, they had Fantasyland, mm-hmm. which was chock full of, of IP. But, you know, it was one generation that had seen those uh, those films. Yeah. You know, it wasn't multi-generational yet. Walt leaned on America as his original IP, you know, from mm-hmm. Frontierland and, and all the, the old... Westerns. It was such a big part of media and this sort of, you know, romanticized version of how the West was won and how we settled our country. Main Street USA, I would argue, that never really existed. It, it is the yeah. Christmas version of, yep. of a town. It's the perfection that everybody in their child's mind remembers things as being. But if you could go in a time machine... America was never as perfect as Main Street USA. And then Tomorrowland was the optimism of America and the space race. And and, and in many ways, building Tomorrowland kind of justified that years later, we could send a man to the moon and we could put a capsule into outer space. So I think it's interesting how he really leaned on that IP. And to your point, everybody knew he had a hot hand for entertainment. They bring him out there in 64 Mm -hmm. and he, he once again sort of leans on that uh, um, American storytelling vibe because Walt took all the fairy tale cartoons and he amped up the drama because he knew that Mm -hmm. if he scared you, if he made you cry, if he made you laugh, those emotions, they make a memory, make a fan. And using your patriotic feeling for the place that you live, if you love America, he knew you would love Disneyland. And you could say that it's a trap. I say that it's amazing marketing to know I'm putting all of my money and all of my time into this. This is my last move on the chessboard. It's got to be a big win. Give something to people that they already love and teach them how to love it even more. And it was just such a masterful play. No, absolutely. I think you're right. And it, and it like just like you say, it plays into the stories they were telling, how they were telling those stories, and, and, and exactly why Tomorrowland has such a hard time. It's the only genre that, that develops constantly, that never stops. You know, these fairy tale ones are, are based in, in so right. long ago. You know, they even, even what they're doing with these fairy tales is updating them to a, a modern audience and stuff like that. But Tomorrowland suffers from that ever-changing vision of, of what the future is, but even what science and tech is and, and all of that stuff. So... Yeah, that's got the that's got the special problem, but everything else 
it was like built with nostalgia yes. in mind. It wasn't like this is contemporary now and it will be nostalgia. It was built as nostalgia. And you know what's interesting about Tomorrowland is when Tomorrow caught up with Disneyland, they started to lean back again on America with America right. the Beautiful and America Sings. And so, you know, uh, taking this place that people love and repackaging it to them was exactly the same as telling people Snow White and Sleeping Beauty, but doing it yeah. so well that then you own that. So when you think of Peter Pan and I think of Peter Pan, we think of the Disney version of that character and nothing else. Did you folks hear that? Sounds to me like we've reached the wilds of Adventureland, where you just might run into a lot of savage critters out there, including lions and tigers and tiki birds. Everybody best be on the lookout. You never know just what may show up. I don't know how it took us this long to get to the back mm-hmm. of the Jungle Cruise, but the train's running really, really slow today. And the Jungle Cruise, another, our second opening day classic that we're visiting today and kind of threw Sleeping Beauty and Main Street in there and a lot of the ideology of the park in 55. But Jared, I'm going to tell you this. I think that the Jungle Cruise is one of the attractions. Like the railroad I love, but the railroad's very different today and I think different in a better way. But the Jungle Cruise is something I'm going to say I would love to have the 55 version and not the 2020 version. I agree fullheartedly. I am I am not a huge fan of this ride in general. Thank you. I like the concept. You know, it's a classic ride. Of it. I never go on this ride. Even when people, guests come out of town, and that's usually my rules, like, okay, we'll go on this thing. I usually like, go for it. I'm going to sit over here or go in the shop, and I will see you guys uh, when you're done. I don't know why. It's the ride I just, I never you know why? do. I don't know where to put my eyes. It's so cringy. <laughs> That I don't know where to put my eyes. Like it's so, and yeah. I love, I love awkwardness so much. I love awkward moments. I love awkward. Oh, Do yeah. You? I, I, I <laughs> any, like you know a Ben Stiller film when it gets into that real cringy rhythm. <laughs> I love that type of entertainment. But this is too cringe for me. The original Jungle Cruise. This is yeah. why I'm going to tell folks why I would like the 55 version better. Mm. It sounded like narration from a documentary. It didn't have mm-hmm. the jokes in it. The jokes wouldn't come until the sixty till the sixties. Wouldn't come till sixty two. I think that that jokey punny part of it, that's where it all falls apart for me. Being on a boat, yeah. going to the jungle, seeing the animals, like I could see the same animals over and over again and be completely content with it. You know, I'm a big um, proponent of Jingle Cruise having the skipperless boats where you just play old mm-hmm. Christmas music on a broken AM radio or something. I love that so much. <laughs> so I like that idea of it better. Right. But right. I also have to say, as I was studying for today's uh, episode, today's trip out to the park, I love the way that the dock looked before they had mm-hmm. to cut it up and add in Indiana Jones. But even before that, to put in the Swiss Family Robinson treehouse, the the older dock, which was longer and you could actually see the palms more. It looked actually more jungle, more expedition. And when we talk mm-hmm. about Disneyland in its original form, this attraction, the IP, the concept, the design of this ride is we're going to take people on this vacation they've always dreamed of going on, but it's 1955, 
few people can take airfare, few people travel internationally. Mm-hmm. So we're going to bring the Amazon, we're going to bring the Nile, we're going to bring it to the people of Anaheim. This is not a river type community that we live in. So the idea of you can go to this park and you can get on a boat and it feels like you're going through the jungle. We take that for granted. That was mind blowing in 55. No doubt about it. Oh, yeah. For sure. For sure. I mean, exotic and all that stuff. And then it's in that interesting Mm -hmm. area of sort of um, things were different back then culturally, cultural sensitivity and things like that. So it was this very TV movie version of the exotic far over there thing. Right. (laughs) Um, But it's like the heyday of that thing. And then it kind of lends itself to like this tiki Mm -hmm. culture that that's emerged and stuff like that. But um just to see it, that's to me, that's the prime of this area. Yeah. I think it fits perfectly that it works really well now. Like nowadays, it seems completely just nostalgia and funny. And I think that's why the jokes, right? You have to kind of give this some kind of gimmick so that people are like, well, it's just these animatronic animals. Um, but I, I am surprised that they have... Um, resisted turning this into a Lion King ride or, or something like that or, or you know like maybe the second half is a Lion King ride or something a journey to Simba um, and that they've kept this in sort of its pure corny um, format I, I think it's because a couple of things the opening day aspect of it makes it sort mm-hmm. of untouchable um, yeah. and I also believe that when you look at this uh, uh, attraction and, and its its history and it's sort of the design and concept of it, it is somewhere between museum set piece and mm-hmm. a park attraction. And, you know, yeah, they added the humor to it. They would add the Mark Davis, like the funnier um, vignettes mm-hmm. into it. It's had a lot of different scenes added to it. But it, it, it is... It's pretty classic Disneyland, and, 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 you know, they did a couple of things in 55 that they can't redo. And things right. like Jungle Cruise exists inside the berm. Rivers of America yeah. inside the berm. Utopia inside the berm. You know, there these are attractions when we were building everything inside the railroad. And if you had to do it all over again... I don't know that you would do the Jungle Cruise that way because it's a huge parcel of land. And in fact, when we look at the design of Disneyland, this was one of the very first things that they started working on because they wanted to give the jungle as much time as possible to grow in. But even more importantly, they wanted to get up that um, eastern side of trees to create Mm -hmm. a wind block so that, you know, this was an open uh, farmland. The winds whip through here, especially when you get the Santa Ana winds coming through Orange County. They needed to get the jungle positioned as quickly as possible so that Main Street wouldn't get blown over. And so it was one of the very first places they started putting all of their, their work into it. And really, when you think about it, the railroad, I mean, people have been on a train before and they've seen a railroad be built. That's not quite as visionary, even though the way they use it was smart. But this had to probably be the opening day, like, masterpiece, right? Like, this was probably yeah. the most ambitious thing in that July of 55. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, again, we're not looking at a ride system. No. You know what I mean? It's not. <laughs> it's nothing pioneering from that way. But I think it, because of the animatronics that were being used in here, and, and it probably felt at that time the most 
Disney-ish, yes. you know, that this is magical, that they haven't even plopped real animals in there, because that would even take it a degree somewhere well, else, right? real animals, and like, you know they'll probably sleep right. all the time. It's like, ah, oh, hell with it. Give me some, <laughs> give me some robots. But which is fantastic, because I think that's what makes this ride feel very yeah. Disney, uh, and not just a zoo ride or something like that. Um, so I, I, I do love this ride that it exists. I don't need to ride it, but like when you walk through this area at night, and you get the sounds, and you even hear the boat, and you can hear that radio kind of from Indiana oh, Jones, and Everything. It's just perfect and feels very Disneyland, and I wouldn't want it to go no, away ever. I no. just don't want to ride it. <laughs> I'm, I'm chaining myself to a, a palm tree and say, no, you can't take this. I, I Even though I don't yeah. ride it often, I appreciate it's there. I appreciate that generations mm-hmm. are still getting to, to ride this. My favorite yeah. part of this is to be at the Tropical Hideaway and to get yeah. one of those you know, river-adjacent uh, tables. And I love the sound of the boats coming by. And I enjoy yep. going up yep. on the second floor and just watching the boats kind of um, cruise through. Mm-hmm. You know, a couple of interesting fun facts about this attraction is the boats are actually going around two different islands. One island is called Catalina, named after Catalina Island. That's right off the shore from where mm-hmm. I live. And the other one is named after Manhattan over on the East Coast. Each of the islands paying tribute to the two biggest islands in America, but paying tribute to the East meets West type vibe of, of the attraction. Uh, they dive the water so that you can't see any of the mechanics. Some say that it goes from five to eight feet in its deepest spots. But the idea of building a boat ride, die in the water so that you can't see how the hippos work or how the boats run on tracks, like, mm-hmm. that gets into the, the genius of, of their forward thinking. I mean, you can go back and see old documentary footage of them driving like a station wagon through, through them, mm-hmm. like literally just digging it out by hand. This is the beginning of them sculpting and building their own rock work, which we know the rocks have become a really important part of the magic. But when yep. Walt was building his studio, Nature Documentaries was a big part of the brand. And that's, yeah. everybody knows what a bear is. You know, until you own uh, a, a Spider-Man or a Luke Skywalker, these properties that people affectionately love, you just take the nature and you repackage it and give it to them. So I also love that this part of Disneyland represents a, a, a different company that really leaned heavy on those Sunday night documentaries and, you know, mm-hmm. true life yeah, adventures yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. So, you know, it wasn't just cartoons back then. When you would watch A Wonderful World of Disney, they would show you shorts and some scripted things and, you know, yeah. penguins and polar bears. So this is a part of that part of the, the company that was a big part of what they were doing in the 50s. Yeah, I agree. And I think that has some of the World's Fair yes. aspect of it. Certainly Tomorrowland. But even this has sort of that uh, exotic other place kind of, you know, uh, placemaking stuff, which is... Um, but again, like even in those documentaries, how um, something like Seal Island or things like that, where they were, there was some concern that they weren't that they were editing this to make a story mm. that it wasn't actually capturing just footage it's like well we you know we fudged it a little just to make it cuter and funnier and tell a tell a story but that's exactly what they're doing with with these rides and things right it's like you're you're living through the film instead of watching it on the screen which is something that would keep going right i mean yeah. jungle cruise yeah. in many ways if this is imitating the disney documentary it's the blueprint for indiana jones it's next door neighbor it's mm-hmm. just, yep, you know, everything over time gets more aggressive. We get better cameras, better storytelling, better special effects. 
and that raises children that grow up to be adults that have higher expectations. So in many ways, this is the original movie attraction. It just was for documentaries that people were excited to watch Sunday nights at 7 o'clock over on ABC, which is just sounds like a whole simpler time. We're approaching our first stop, New Orleans Square Station. This station serves Frontierland, New Orleans Square, and Critter Country. If you'll be leaving us here, please remain seated till the train comes to a complete stop. Then watch your step while getting off. Have a good time in the frontier, Here, As we're stuck here at the yeah. New Orleans train station, a couple of fun facts. We talked about this last week, but this ticking that we hear in the background. Yes. Wonderful. The fact that Walt's opening day speech is on loop, his voice is always heard in the park. That just shows the genius of we're going to give people this great story of a man. We're going to put it all together and we're going to make him a character in our park. And I'm all for it. You know, I mean, because in today's world, um, you feel like you don't get heroes anymore. You, you feel like you don't get these big characters. And in our life, you know, some of the the, the people that I admired the most, I mean, obviously uh, Walt was gone before we were around, but, you know, Jim Henson was sort of uh, in that same category and for what Steve Jobs did to the world of technology. You know, when you look around right now, we're kind of running a little short on crazy creative madmen or, or, or mad women. I mean, it could be anybody in today's world. Um, I kind of feel like Elon Musk is the really the only lunatic that we have right now. There's like, you want a rocket ship? Mm. I'll build a rocket ship. You, you want an electric car that can drive itself from L.A. to New York? I'll build that, too. Like, you know, these type of characters, they do so much in their lifetime that you just start... I tell you the story and you tell it to a friend and they tell it to a friend and it just becomes legend and that tick, 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 tick in the background just sort of is part of that legacy that I love so much about this part. Oh, absolutely. I think Jim Henson's probably the best uh, parallel there to Walt Disney just because he's so aware of sort of what he's doing and, and his audience and, and how these things are affecting his audience. It, it seemed less like, I, I don't know, there's a coldness to Elon Musk, you know, not, not to take away from what he's doing or his visions, but it, he doesn't seem as um, eager to reach people. He, his product does, but he himself is more about him being himself. I think, I think the same thing with even George yes. Lucas. Um, there's a there's a distance there, um, and and so that's where Walt played such an interesting thing. You know, a lot of it's showmanship and stuff, but he knew that that was part of it. That that was all like playing into the right message for him. He wasn't off trying to be a playboy or like I'm going to win Oscars and make important films or something like that. It was a very different approach, but um, that's what made it exciting to see him at the beginning of those shows. And whether you kind of stay tuned for the rest of it after he was done with the great intro. Yeah, I mean, you know, let's not kid ourselves. Walt was doing a character of Walt, and and I can appreciate that. I mean, he was a showman. And, you know, I think Elon is being what that generation needs. I mean, he's kind of like if Twitter was personified into a person, that's what you would get, you know? So I think a big part of these icons is they represent something to their generation. So whereas Walt was a storytelling visionary for the 
people of the, the, the 40s and the 50s, Henson was that for the 60s and the 70s, right? Like a little bit more looser, a little more, not ex- not exactly a hippie, but you could see it in there, you know? Um, so I, I just love those people, but I love that little ticking that happens the entire time. And while we're talking about things from 1955, if you look behind us, the old Frontier Station was the second stop on the Disneyland Railroad. But it's a little confusing because you could go to Main Street where we got on today and you could do mm-hmm. a loop around the park and they'd let you back off of Main Street. It didn't stop anywhere else. Or you could go deeper in the park and you could get on the Frontier Station, but it would only take you back to Frontier Station. And when you stand mm-hmm. back at Main Street and you see that second row of tracks, that's how it worked. They each would run on their own independent mm-hmm. track until they'd get on the other side of the park and then they would merge into the same track. But the Frontier train station was weird because you would get put into like stock train carts. Like you like an open no, like air livestock thing, kind of thing or and you would like yeah, yeah, there yeah. weren't seats. You like stood up and you like looked through slats oh. of wood. It was wild. Yeah. Wow. And so it's a whole weird vibe. And and you know, I'm pretty sure maybe somebody in the audience could correct me on this. It's a hard thing to figure out. I was studying maps today. It's hard to find many articles about the frontier train station, but I'm pretty sure that it had to be moved because at one point it wasn't that far from the rivers of America. And right now we've got where we're sitting on the train. We have Magnolia Park. We have two wide walkways. And then we have the Rivers of America. So I think that at some point it was probably pretty close to the, the was it the plantation um, plantation house? Yeah. 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 Which was a double-sided building. It was one thing on one side and something on the other side, the chicken house. And then, so I feel like this building was probably at some point moved because it doesn't make sense that it would sit this far back from Rivers of America because what else would be happening and you know they had to reroute the train for some of the other attractions so uh, to be continued i'm going to dig deeper on this but i do it is a it's an interesting section of the park for this opening time because i still see photos of that and i can't quite figure out what's Mm -hmm. happening like like there was a bridge over there uh and i can't like i was trying to look at it from different angles and it's really difficult uh just to get the right time period when that's there and, and kind of figure out how people were, were going around there. But um, part of the fun, When you right? look outside of the Frontier Station, though, there, or Frontierland Station, I should say, there was like a park-type atmosphere. And back on the Jungle Cruise that we just rode past, there was a, a park-like atmosphere out in front of that. So they used to really fill up the space mm-hmm. with benches and trees. And, and I love that some of that still exists. And I don't really see that that going away anytime soon. And... and that was one of the things I was anticipating with Galaxy's Edge. Would they still put that in there? And they did to make it feel like Disneyland. So, uh, you know, when you're looking at these things with a weird designer's eye, I thought that that was a big win. We're off to Tomorrowland. Okay. Folks, ahead of us lies the future. Well, I guess we all know that. What I mean to say is we're heading into Tomorrowland where everything is possible. If you look overhead, you might catch a glimpse of a monorail. When Disneyland introduced the monorail back in 1959, it was the first daily operating monorail system in the entire Western Hemisphere. Winding below us is the Autopia, where drivers of all ages can get behind the wheel of a car, and no license is required. 
If you've ever wanted to become an astronaut, then you might want to stop at Space Mountain and Star Tours, where they got some newfangled flying spaceships that'll launch you into the deepest reaches of space. And you can ride them if you got the mind and the nerve. Well, folks, we're now arriving at Tomorrowland Station. If you'll be leaving us here, just stay seated till we come to a full stop. Gather your belongings and step carefully from the train. Thanks. Have fun in the future. Now, we're going to roll up on an attraction that I have called it the wrong name. I have okay. said rip it out, tear it out. Still feel yep. strongly about that. I know a lot of you were raised on Disneyland. Your mom and dad brought you here when you were three months old to get a photo of you in front of the castle. Congratulations on the sick pick. I didn't get here until I was an adult. Didn't watch a lot of the movies. People hate when I say that, so I like to remind them that I haven't seen the movies. But I'm going to tell you right now, as somebody who's obsessed with Disneyland, Atopia, proper yes. pronunciation, Atopia. Thank you. Get out of my Disneyland. Get out of here. <laughs> you go on. Go home, Atopia. You're drunk. Like, I think if you look at it from above, it's a ginormous lot of land. It is. And people go, well, I think they should put electric cars in there. Why? So kids can ride in a car that they're not driving? They do that on their way to and from Disneyland. The joy of Utopia is driving the car. That experience does not deliver to young kids that play all these crazy video games, that pick up a tablet and go like this, left, right, left, right, and they're in the world of driving. Like When they put the rail down the center. 1965. Mm -hmm. Utopia is dead to me. I need yeah. no rail. I want to really drive my car. And there were problems with that. There were kids who were able to get the cars off the track. They once caught kids all the way over on the main street that were that what? were joyriding on one, which is a great story. But I I could appreciate Utopia for what it did in 55. It's it indicated the optimism of Disneyland mm -hmm. because fun yeah. fact. Utopia is here before the interstate system is really in America. The uh, interstate highway wouldn't get established until a year later. So this is Disneyland saying, hey, wouldn't it be great if we had a system of highways where you can go from city to city and not have to be on secondary roads and hit red lights? So I do love that it was an indication of things to come you know the interstate system that we've taken for granted our entire lives like that was something that people were getting promised to them so i do love mm -hmm. that it represents that that optimism but once again this is walt before he had all the big fancy ip and before disney owned all the big ip they're using transportation the love of the automobile to do a couple of things people love cars They'll love driving a little car mm -hmm. in Disneyland. Kids love cars. They'll finally get to drive one. But by adding transportation into Disneyland, even though it's a small vehicle, it adds that vibe that it's a real little town. So I yeah. understand its importance and its heritage. And even though I don't jungle cruise, I can justify the jungle cruise. No justification for the Utopia. I will say kids love this ride. Kids though. ruin it, it Disneyland. I say it all the time. That's my quote. I live by it. 
<laughs> I think about Autopia a lot because it's 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 that one that um, I agree. I agree. It could probably go mainly because of the footprint. Uh, because it's taking up so much valuable real estate, I, I would be happy to see this go. You know, I, the, there's a very strong smell that I associate with that ride. It's changed a little over the years, but it's still part of. Sounds the, like part of Jack the ride. Jackhammers are going off in the distance. Yeah, exactly. So I was trying to think about like what would make me ride this again. I think we talked about this a little before. Either IP the crap out of it, pick something good, pick something that makes sense that you want to go see these little things. If they went the miniature route on this, I would ride this. Well, thing, if they went right? back to the like if it on PC term, but the midget Utopia, the much smaller car. Right, right. So they do a little town or, or oh, something, oh, oh. right? Something yeah, future. Yeah, build a little town. Some, anything like that. Yeah, make it cute or like, um, uh, like you said, like your safety yeah. stuff, right? Like it, follow these rules and do little things. That would be cute. Or I was think the only other thing I could think of would be like a virtual reality thing. You put goggles on for this thing and you're seeing a different thing as you're driving around this thing than what's actually. All there. right. I'm um, listening. Because I'm trying to think, what makes this Tomorrowlandy? It doesn't really belong there anymore. It it made more sense the way you described it in '55 and a few years after. But now it just feels like, well, these are this is a very nostalgic ride. Even the cars themselves are nostalgic. So how do you make this relevant to now, relevant to Tomorrowland, and justify taking up all? It's already been figured out. So yeah, so no, I don't know. Jared, it's I don't know what. Out. When Honda oh, added okay. that little robot, ha, I'm bird, ha, I'm bird. I mean, it's all that's that's kids love. There you go. I, I go yeah. to the park once a week, and I always see people wearing that robot on a shirt. They they had. Yep. I love the, the robot ears that say "I'm Bird." Like that character. I mean, Honda solved it all in 2000 when they uh, redid it. <laughs> exactly. So it's perfect. It's fine. Keep no, it. I, 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 I'm being funny to, to just to yeah. rouse some people yeah. up, but I. I love the idea of what it meant in 55. I just don't mm-hmm. see that it still means that today. And this is my biggest argument for it. I love this part of the park. Hang yeah. out over there all the time. Love hanging out around there. And quite often, I see kids emulating their parents, not only by driving a vehicle, but by doing it while they're looking at their iPhones. And I think yeah. if the kids are so bored on Utopia that they have to pull out their iPhones to look at what else is going on, it, it, I just don't see it being here. And a lot of people said, what about electric, you know, like driving themselves cars? Right, right. Like new technology. But I think right. if you put kids in a little baby Tesla, it's like somebody drove them yeah. there. The fun is being in control. And I just don't think that it has what it takes to, to, to keep people going for generations and generations. But when it opened up, they were so excited that the very first cars were called the Mark One, and they would keep updating mm-hmm. the models over and over the years. At one point, Disneyland had three different Utopias. And in fact, yeah. when you're cruising through there, if you see the bronzed, uh, smaller, I won't use that word again, but if you look at the smaller car, um, there's one that is bronze, which was actually, it's on a little pedestal sitting over in the woods. Mm-hmm. That was a car that drove around in Disneyland. Then it went out to Marceline because when they got rid of the smallest version of it, it went out to Marceline and it ran as an attraction out there, but it's a very expensive attraction to go. So eventually they couldn't yeah. keep it at the park out there. So that one came back to Disneyland and they bronzed it and it's sitting over there. So I understand it's rich with history. I know many people, our Bud Louie worked on this when he was a high school cast member. I, I mm. fully understand 
it's it's deep history. But I say, as somebody that was able to see this with a clear slate, with no nostalgia, where's my shovel? There. <laughs> but I will say, probably mid-60s, right? Think about that. Like, Autopia, submarines, monorail going by. You got the Skyway going through there, too. And, and People Mover going through Tomorrowland. So there really is a big transportation theme going through this whole thing. And it, it probably made so much sense then as it's just part of this bigger vision. Um, but now, with all of that, most of that gone, and just it just feels a little out of place <laughs> and, and i would say to people this you know um just imagine getting a little more fantasy land uh because i mm. really feel like this uh this piece of land here could could lend itself to be in an extension of fantasy land it could get caught up in two and go little fantasy land or whatever becomes of Tomorrowland. i mean i, right, I feel like right. people love it until i pull a don draper on everybody and i stand in a boardroom with you and i have my little easel and I pull back my Velm cover sheet and I go, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, this is what your tomorrow looks like. So I'm going to ask you right now yeah. to drive your utopia back into the history books. Like, I, I think it would have to be the Don Draper uh, carousel slideshow. Oh, yeah, that has to, it's that one, right? That was just that's the best fictional pitch in the history yeah. of fictional pitches. Yeah, so, yeah, makes me cry, doesn't it? Just <laughs> dude. When that oh. show was good, it was oh, the best. Oh, it was so good. Yeah. And yeah. by the way, Don Draper, absolute fictional legend, because as soon as Disneyland opened up, took his kids, flew them out to L.A., and took them to Disneyland. That's right. Little That's Sally right. Draper, yeah. spoiled brat, got taken to Disneyland opening year, even though she was from New York. <laughs> Betty Draper was right when she said, bored people are boring people. <laughs> All right. Would you love a whole show around that Disneyland around like a, a, a Mad oh. Men kind of writing around like whether it was the creation of the park? I mean, I know it would be so many difficult hurdles. A but show just to be in that time that period. Takes place yeah, yeah. In Disneyland in '55 is my dream. Yeah. You know, yeah, John Favreau yeah. was working on a movie about Disneyland where the attractions came yeah. to life at night. Kingdom Keepers or Keepers of the Kingdom or something, or I don't know. I remember. I do remember that. They went pretty John, far, too. I'll sign any NDA. Just let me read the script. <laughs> if I leak out one bit of information, take me for everything that I have, which isn't much. Which is not that much. <laughs> Podcasting doesn't pay that much. Okay. Now, let's get serious. Let's go yes. to the land that I know you love the most. Let's mm. go to the land that has the absolute most 1955 OGs. Talking about Fantasyland. Nice. This is the first thing that we're going to walk upon. The Mad Tea Party. The teacups. Yes. This isn't their original location. Everybody knows mm-hmm. that. But I have to say, this is one of those attractions that is the definition of Disneyland. Right? Like mm-hmm. I feel like this in Dumbo you can put a pic, you can put a clip of it anywhere, and it instantly says Disneyland. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. And uh, again, I think Disneyland's is the best. The scale, the thing, it just, it, you know, it looks like a toy. The whole thing looks like a toy. It's not too big. There's not too many cups. 
Um, I think even Dumbo's upgrades have um, kind of brought it up. It's still very charming and stuff, but it looks more, yeah. more modern, I think. Teacups, the basic concept is still um, intact. Well, it, it's absolutely one of the prettiest attractions ever at night. Oh, yeah. Fun fact, never wrote it, never will. I know my body. Mm-hmm. I know that thing will make me insanely sick. If for whatever reason I ever become yep. like a big deal, I'll ride it for charity. But if I wrote it for charity right now, like, I'm not doing that to raise 20 bucks for some kids someplace that needs shoes. <laughs> but this attraction is, it's so beautiful. It's so Disneyland. And, you know, like, you know, I don't like Utopia because I think that it's past. I'm not a big Jungle Cruise guy, but I like to sit by it. This is one of those mm-hmm. attractions where I don't ride it. But if I'm cruising by here, I'll go into the little observation area and yeah, just watch yeah. it take a spin. Like, I love it so much. Yep. And it's kind of fun that it got moved over here with the Alice Dark ride and then the, the Mad Hatter uh, shop kind of moved up. It's interesting that Alice has this little Alice corner here. Like, I love this mm-hmm, little part mm-hmm. of the park, you know, because it's kind of all you can see from this angle and just the shop. And the two attractions, it's a little baby galaxy's edge. Yeah, it totally is. But it's a perfect transition, right? Out of that sort of European fantasy land into the rest of fantasy land and then into Tomorrowland. So, and it so. pairs it's a great pairs so well with the Matterhorn next to it and then with the, the water mm-hmm. across the way and with the storybook canals next to us. Perfect. But during the first two years on opening, the teacups had no breaks, no clutches. So you could literally spin them as fast as you wanted to spin them. Gross. And our teacups is the only one that is open air. All of the other ones Mm -hmm. have a a shelter over the top of them. The one that I saw in Paris has a beautiful glass like atrium over the top of it. But here we have sort of the, the perfect weather, some might say. So ours is open air and bad tea party. And Dumbo are the only two attractions in all of Disneyland to move from one location to the other. And when they were doing Mm. the 1983 Fantasyland, they took it from being sort of the the center of Fantasyland and moved it back here in this corner. Um, Those old photos, it looks so great in the middle, but they were smart to say, this looks great now with this Renaissance Fair vibe that we have. But this right. does not jive with this European village we're trying to sell to everybody. So, you know, once again, they have a really great idea of knowing what's important, what needs to stay, and maybe even more important in that sentence, how to preserve it so it feels right for the future and the evolution of the park. Yeah, for sure. But that um, that change uh, is so important, right? That that it's a it's a that 1983 model and stuff like that really changes this area completely. Totally. Uh, it com- completely changes the feel of it. It's it's definitely more charming now than it was before. I think it's one of the rare cases where they did improve it with this with this remodel. Um, and like we've said, it, it harkens back to what he originally wanted as opposed to this this look because it does look. A little on the cheap side, right? When you look back at the old uh, fantasy land. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, now we have this village. So that looks Mm -hmm. expensive and it looks real. I mean, you know, Toad's Hall is so immaculate the way that it's constructed. So, yeah, it looked like a carnival. And 
With the big swirly paint job and the, the way that the teacups used to be painted, it looked like a carnival ride. But yeah. a lot of the old photos are so falsely color saturated in their color correction right. that it always has this real, like, you know, mid 50s, early 60s, like candy coating to it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, what yeah. I do like about that version better than this one is that that railing that was kind of around it and, you know, this big <laughs> view around it. But um, with all the lanterns over it and sort of how they let yes. the uh, plant life kind of grow around it, it it's, it's a really, really, I think, a, a special part of the, the park. And as we've been doing this and I've been thinking about my opinions on Fantasyland, I think mm-hmm. right now, um, well, there's no guns in Disneyland unless we're over in the shooting gallery. So... Lightsaber to my head, I'm going to say Alice is my favorite Fantasyland dark ride. Wow. Controversial. That's... Uh, it is, but it isn't, but it is. <laughs> I mean, we all, we would agree with Peter Pan. Obviously, that's the, the big favorite and stuff. But I would agree with you on this. This has always been one of my favorite rides. And then with the upgrade, it just kind of pushed it over the, over the top for me. I still um, regret it. It's Peter Pan. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I will say, like we talked about before, the scale of Peter Pan is something that I, I really do love. Um, and I wish, you know, if that was, if they could bring more of that into Alice. Alice is a little bit more of a specific uh, ride through, I think. But um, but what they've done with that and how they've used technology now to update it but keep it charming is, is just perfect. And I hope that's what we're going to see with um, Snow White. Yeah, I'm I, I'm feeling like we're in good hands with Snow White. I, I And, yep. you know, once again... I come to all of this with sort of a clean slate going and seeing Snow White as an adult. I'm like, this makes literally zero sense. Like, yeah, <laughs> I love that it's there. I, I love the, the symbolism of Walt's big win. I mean, Snow White helped build the, the company, but it yeah. just, it needed an improvement, you know? And that's kind of my, yeah. my argument for Utopia is nostalgia removed. It, it just does it work or not. And I think the reason why something gets a pass is Jungle Cruise does still work. Like it, it has its symbolism, yep. it has its yep. historic relevance, but it still works and it has to actually work. And, you know, the Snow White um, IP is so crucial to the Disney story. It has to be in the park, but that version just wasn't working. That being said, if they don't tone down the outer paint job, I will be critical of that because it looks like candy right now. Um, and it needs to have a little bit of a darker edge, I think. But as we walk around the bend here, Mr. Toad's yeah. Wild Ride is a ride that was made on the quick, on the cheap. Mm. All of the other opening day dark rides. Remember, Peter Pan, or I'm sorry, Pinocchio came in 83. So our right. three opening day dark rides are Snow White. Peter Pan and Toad. Now the other two had movie set piece props, three-dimensional props. But with Toad, they just went with wood flats. Like everything was just painted on a flat yep. piece of wood. And the other yep. two depicted the, the the films. I've recently learned from Philander they were book report rides. And even though with mm. Peter Pan it's fun to go on that voyage and live in the movie, Toad's Wild Ride was just like Here's the characters. Here's something else he may have gotten into. Have at it, kids. Mm-hmm. Have a quick 98 seconds of fun. 
that's yeah. an insane, yeah. insane amount of time for a ride because if you stand in line longer than 10 minutes, you've already got ripped off if it's only 98 yeah. seconds <laughs> of, of riding. But my question for you is this. Hmm. Mr. Toad comes from a time when they would do, well, we've got two good ideas so we can just make one movie and we can put two shorts together. Right. right Had right. the ball bounced the other way, and this was a Ichabob mm-hmm. Crane Headless Horseman attraction, how do you yeah. think that would have changed Fantasyland? And if you could have picked between the two properties, which one would you prefer to have been built? Um, I think for Fantasyland, Toad makes a, a proper Fantasyland ride. I don't like the execution, the, the storytelling in it. Um, but the basic ride, I think it actually makes so much sense. Um, and they could have done a lot of it because you don't really see a whole lot of the driving in the actual film. It's not like you have to follow this right. storyline. That might have been the challenge because you don't you don't see a whole story in that ride. Um, uh, the, I, I like the Headless Horseman stuff. And it works well the way they use it for oh, Halloween. I love that. I don't see Ichabod becoming a, a, an entire attraction. The short itself is, is very well animated, and I love the short. But again, I, I think um, Toad has more of a ride mm. possibility uh, than, than uh, what was in Ichabod, which is pretty much really the, everyone likes the end of that short. It's not the whole thing. You know, I don't think anyone would recognize many of the other characters from that film. But they just like the Headless Horseman bit, which could be an interesting ride in itself. But it seems like that would be just a terrifying, terrifying ride for that to be completely effective. So I like the Toad thing. I just wish they could tell the story, but I still think they can. I still think they can just create something different. But there's nostalgia now for devils and the thing going to hell at the end as opposed to following the exact story. So uh, it sits in a funny place, but I feel like that one has some potential to be touched again and you really <laughs> you just did a, an amazing like art assessment on why they went with toad and not ichabod because uh, peter pan is sort of dreamlike and and, and uh, optimism right it's the innocence of yeah. youth yeah snow white they'd already went dark so if they did headless horseman they're going dark twice yeah so yeah. to do just a car ride attraction it's the same but different. So you could do all three dark rides and feel like you got something very different. You really broke down why they would have went with this property versus the other one. And I bet the other problem was it's easier just to fabricate cars with aerial development versus what do you ride on in a Sleepy Hollow attraction? Yeah. You can't put exactly. people on a horse exactly. that rides around a track. And if you're in a, <laughs> a, like a carriage... That, that would like mm-hmm. what's pulling you. So yeah. I bet that was the other big obstacle. I mean, from all the things I really remember of that era of Disney, I remember seeing the Headless Horseman short. They would show yeah. it every uh, Halloween in, in school on the big reel-to-reel um, projector. And I really, really love that property. But I think you're right. As a statue in DCA and as the opening ceremony on the Halloween parade, Using it as a spice is the best way to use that. I would love to see them use it more, especially as as they're expanding the Halloween stuff over in DCA. If they can do something with Ichabod stuff, whether that's turning a restaurant into something or, you know, theming it up, I think they can still use that quite effectively there. But yeah, for Fantasyland, I think 
Toad is Toad. That's why I think I, I want Toad to be better. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because the building is gorgeous. Everything about it is gorgeous. I just want that interior to to come up to the level of what we just wait in line for. Do you think there will be a time where they will go back through Toad and plus it like they did with Peter Pan, Snow White? I mean, Alice in Wonderland's just uh, amazing now because of the digital video image mapping. Like, do you think that they touch Toad or they just kind of leave it as is and feel like a carnival ride? I think eventually it's like it either has to go or just enhance what's there. I, I figure they won't change the story because the story's so weird and it's just part of it now. But you can enhance it. Like the little effect with the train coming at you with the light. That's great. Everyone loves that. Keep that. But then enhance things around it. Put a couple of animatronics in there, simple ones. I hear some will be moving out of um, Splash Mountain pretty <laughs> soon. So maybe we can put something in there. You know, take, take something like that and just dress it up. Because that thing is so cardboardy flat and flaps, like you said, just the addition of a few characters and some scenes or cutouts or something like that I think could greatly improve that ride it would certainly make me interested in it again do you think during the uh, pause-demic the um, American seeing animals were like oh man I can't believe we got furloughed during all of this hopefully we'll <laughs> hopefully we'll get picked back up for another gig I mean I went and applied over at the Star Tours but they're not hiring anybody so I don't know where I'll end up that's hilarious <laughs> yeah I mean that you bring up a lot of good points I mean I know that Toad is just sacred amongst the hardcore, and and I really really enjoy it. And I you know I I don't know I don't know what else they could put in this amount of space, you know. Like so, let's say that they took Toad com- completely out, and they wanted to put yeah. one of the modern movies into sure. um, Fantasyland. So they wanted to you know we need another princess attraction, you know we need to do a, a good princess okay. dark ride. It's such a tight footprint, like. I'm curious, what could you even do that would be worth it all? Because it's such a tight footprint. So I kind of see either it stays forever and it gets plussed up or it goes and something else goes. So there's the proper footprint to do something a little more grandiose. Does that make Mm. sense? Yeah. um, I could see maybe doing like... um uh, my only thought would be to take something classic because it's fantasy land. So I would say let's let's avoid the uh, tangleds and frozens and things like that. Let's just let those sit for a few years. <laughs> as much as I like them, let them sit. So I think it'd be fun to do something like um, like if you just focused on Cinderella's mm. carriage ride from the castle back mm. home. It's the crazy carriage ride from there. And you can you can maybe start with a very pretty scene or you start off in the in the castle. That's the queue area. But then that it's just this little funny little pumpkin thing you're in and it just you know trots along the town and you know you can force some scenes in there so you see things that doesn't really make sense but um just like toad doesn't make sense maybe you see fairy godmother off to the side or something like that but it could still be the sort of bouncy carriage thing that like little kids would like but adults might like and um, just focus very tightly on one aspect of a story instead of trying to tell the whole tale in this little bit of space but i think if you go like that like make it kind of silly and fun like poo uh, and just keep it simple, but then you can really like jazz it up with animatronics and, and just cute stuff. It doesn't have to be technologically crazy, but um, just like as if it were always there. And now we're kind of pumping it up a with little the one-two punch of the three levels of storytelling, where you put mm-hmm. uh, some movie props closest to me. That's level one. Level two is some sort of 
simple animatronic in a smaller attraction. That's that's the level two. But then for the level yeah. three, the infinity level, using the digital boards, you could do a pumpkin ride that felt a pumpkin carriage ride. You could do one that felt pretty crazy. And with mm-hmm. going over to Radiator Springs and Cars Land, there could be a moment where, you know, we actually pull up to a mirror and with visual effects, like they could turn it into a right. pumpkin while we're sitting inside of it. At the very end or something. As like, a yeah, yeah. Uh, art um, director, do you see a conflict of having a Cinderella attraction, but no Sleeping Beauty attraction, even though it's her castle and she doesn't have a thing? So her thing's inside the castle, which the walk is through. Like she tells the story. Yeah, the walkthrough in the castle. And I think that's... You think that's, that's enough? Um, I mean, of course, it'd be fun to have a big Sleeping Beauty ride or something especially with the dragon it's usually about the villains with these things but um i think that that kind of covers your base there that we're not ignoring this story it's in the castle go you can go see the story there so um it's just it would be nice to get another princess ride in there uh, especially in fantasy land um and just to focus in on like an actiony thing would be would be great because i think everyone wants to ride it but just like with peter pan if the ride system is kind of interesting you're going to get everybody wanting to do that. And that seems to be like a good, safe story to, to go with, especially if you're focusing so tightly on this one aspect. Uh, my um, my gamble, if I were to, to bet on what I think there's blueprints of or sketches of mm-hmm. uh, up in Burbank, I would predict that the parcel of land where uh, Utopia hits the water where the old motorboat cruise was that area over there yeah i see that as being the sleeping beauty attraction that they're building once again forgive me tokyo or uh japan or hong kong or japan i don't know which one that they're building that in i i i I know shanghai but the other two parks get very confused in my head and unfortunately i've never been to either one of them so it's a little bit of a blur but that sleeping um beauty Attraction that they're building, the track trackless attraction. Well, Beauty and the Beast or Sleeping Beauty? Beauty and the Beast. Beauty That's, and the Beast. Come on, Jared, pay Tokyo. attention, okay? Yeah. I've made a mistake all night. Yeah, yeah. Pay attention. All right. Utopia. Very good. So Auto. <laughs> yeah. I love you, you'll never correct me. Just look at this idiot. Look at this idiot. <laughs> Jack Skeleton. So That's right. The sorry. The Beauty and the Beast attraction. Yeah. Bell and the Beast, the dance, the teacups. I feel like that fits over there very well um, mm-hmm. because they can do a forced perspective and do like a smaller castle that's on the outer edge of Disneyland. Yeah. But what I don't think would happen, and I could be wrong, but I think if you put Arendelle in, the problem is, is you get Double Mountain. And I don't think they mm. would want to put that close to Matterhorn because that would add a very tight valley. And you mm. can't make anything too big around Matterhorn because it messes up the sight lines and it messes up really what's one of the monumental icons of the park. So I feel like in that back area, if Fantasyland was to grow over in that direction, which I predict at some point it will, I think a forced perspective castle sort of setting up the edge sight lines of the park, keeping the highway system behind us and backstage out of our view, I feel like that's a safer bet than a crystal mountain with a little village at the bottom of it because one i don't see that fitting and two i think that that would be a troublesome sight line hmm it depends on how they do it. i i frozen 
it's so big I, I i could see it like i would love to get that beauty and the beast attraction there i think frozen might be something that they would look at uh, more seriously for for disneyland um but they have two castles in that there's actually the castle that they live in and then the the crystal one is elsa's castle and even that has changed in the in the new film to be something a little more abstract um, so i think there are ways that they can do it where they can even use that matterhorn in the background to support the the snowy yeah. feel for things um I always think Beauty and the Beast, let's get rid of the uh, Videopolis area, the, the stage area, and put Beauty and the Beast somehow back there into its own little nook. See, I feel but, like um, if Frozen was going to go anywhere in our park, I feel like mm-hmm. that's the spot to put it because um, the old village house restaurant, that area could kind of just keep yeah. going and, and lend itself to that. But then that gets weird because... There's the Red Rose Tavern over there, and, you know, would we build this other part of that story on the other side of the park? But I, I'll be yeah. interested to see what Fantasyland 43 looks like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm all for it. I hope it keeps expanding. Yeah. So, I mean, we got the Mickey coming into Toontown, which is its own little separate world, so that's going to awaken back there. But you still have a lot of space, it seems, around there to, to at least get like another big fantasy land attraction yeah, in there. I, I, I agree. I, I think that I could see the theater going away and I could, I feel like there's a couple of plots of land where they could do a couple of big plays. And then there's the other idea of, do we ever get to go behind small world? And I believe eventually the answer will be yes. But all of this is like mm-hmm. now, especially with the pandemic, this is all decades off, but doesn't hurt to speculate. Never hurts to speculate. That's- nope. You never know. And it's amazing to see how big that show building is for the Mickey oh, ride. Yeah. That thing looks yeah, massive. I am so... I'm more excited for that than I am the Avengers campus. Yeah, oh, I'm me very too, excited sure. about that. Sure. So as we're standing here, we just looked at Mr. Toad. Um, just a, a, a diehards, diehard, diehard Disneyland fan must attend attraction. Shout out to Tony Mendez because I know that if they said they were tearing this down, he would chain himself to uh, to Toad and be like, over my dead body. So <laughs> we've already done an entire episode about Peter Pan's flight. Go back in the archives. Yeah. Episode 21, Peter Pan, the Prince of Fantasyland, the history of Peter Pan's flight. And then when we first started off doing the podcast last year in season one, episode two was Snow White's Scary Adventures. And we did that purposefully because we started off with Disneyland as our first episode, Main Street USA, the idea of Disneyland. And then we immediately followed it up with Snow White because that's really the one-two punch in, uh, in Walt's career. And when the Imagineers put the Carthay Circle over in DCA, they were really setting up the storytelling of, you know, that's the bookends of greatness. You know, Snow White right. to, to, to Disneyland being a... a Erected. So go back to episode two if you want to hear about those two attractions because we can't make five hour long podcasts. But before we do <laughs> leave the heart of Fantasyland, an attraction that we haven't covered before is King Arthur's Carousel. Mm. This is one of, this might be the only attraction in all of Disneyland that actually wasn't built for Disneyland. This carousel mm-hmm. was built in 22, which means. 
we are dangerously close to its 100-year anniversary. Wow. But this is from yeah. a city that I lived in, the great city of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. No, I'm not Canadian, but I have mad respect for the Canadians. Hope you guys had a great Canada Day last Wednesday. But this was at a park called Sunnyside Beach Park in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I'm assuming probably where the uh, expedition center is there on the front of the lake. And they moved it to Disneyland in 54. It would have three rows of seating on it in Canada. They wanted to hold more. So they put in a fourth row. This obviously goes back to the famous story of Walt on Daughter Day taking his daughters every Saturday over to Griffith Park and watching them go around mm-hmm. and around saying, you know, there's, there's got to be a better solution for this uh, amusement park business where the whole family can get involved. But they put the carousel in a prominent position so that you could see it through the opening of Sleeping Beauty's castle, that it would mm-hmm. draw people into the fantasy of fantasy land. And, you know, with fireworks and the, the big crowds, you don't always get that shot. But on a perfect night at the right time, when the scrims aren't down yeah. for the nighttime shows and the bridge isn't full of people and there's not on the compass rows, there's not a million people doing selfies. Sometimes you can still get that shot of seeing the, the carousel through there. And man, that is a magical placement. Oh, absolutely. It is the light for that whole area at night, right? <laughs> Nothing else is there, but that that carousel is going. And it's kind of strange. You don't kind of know, like it's been, it was behind curtains for a while, right? When they were doing some right. refurbishment to it. And it is amazing how when that's covered up, it, it, it sets the whole area off. You really need that glow from that thing and, and to be able to see the, the movement and everything like to really make, I think, Fantasyland feel alive and complete. It's a big gaping hole if that thing's not running. Um, again, not something I ride ever. Uh, even if kids want to go on it, I, I won't do it. But um, I love that it's there. I love the feeling and the sound, oh, yeah. that just hearing that music. It doesn't make sense time-wise, really, but it doesn't matter. It's just the thing and it just feels right right in there where it is so i do love it i just i just never ride it has 68 horses on it and all of them have their own individual names and their own individual sculpts and and paint styles like no Mm -hmm. two of the horses are the same there was a 1.72 on there but they pulled four out to put uh the the bench seating which remember the night you and i rode the bench because i'm like i've never rode the bench i want to ride the bench (laughs) we both got completely sick yep if it went on for much longer, that would have been nightmarish. One more loop, and we were the only two guys dropping blue milk <laughs> all over Fantasyland. <laughs> now, here's a little fun fact for you. I found this to be fascinating. Okay. Do you know the difference between a carousel and a merry-go-round? Um, I've heard this somewhere, and I can't remember what it is. Is it is it something with the whether the horses move or not, like up and down, as opposed to just sort of static? You're close. And going around. Well, first off, if okay. they go up and okay. down, they're called jumpers, and Walt wanted them all okay. to be jumpers, so they had to do a lot of reconfiguring sure. to make that happen. But a carousel spins counterclockwise, and a merry-go-round spins clockwise, hmm. and. That's a weird distinction. But if you think about it, this is supposed to be King Arthur's carousel, which comes from the UK. They drive on the wrong side of the road. That's what we say. (laughs) And the the word carousel 
comes from an old Italian word meaning little war. So it's a war of horses. So naming all of these, and some of the horses actually have like military like type armor and stuff on them. Yeah. yeah so yeah. the fact that it is a carousel, that they are going in the British direction, named after King Arthur, there's a lot of like interesting levels of storytelling in there that just makes it feel a little bit more magical, make a little bit more sense. Did uh, the carousel thing? How much? How much did you look into this? Was it a toy at first? Like the war thing makes it seem like it might be a toy. Like these horses are battling, and so they're just kind of going around, and then it becomes a you know, it's a big person's. Yeah, I would have carousel, to think that it probably but, um, started out like a, a music box type toy, yeah, right? And yeah, then someone's yeah. like, "I think I can build one of those." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then the merry-go-round concept seems like it could be right. anything, you know? Like, so so Disneyland has a carousel, but that Jesse's critter thing seems like a merry-go-round. Even though we call it a roundup <laughs> in these parts. We yeah, call it a roundup! <laughs> yeah, so I, I... It's one of those things... It'll never go away. It'll always be there. Right. It's so emotional. Yeah. It's a part of the park, and just, you know, even though... It looks like there's the old instrumentation playing the music. It's not. It's just there for show. But uh, if you look around at the details, it's got a lot of really cool Sleeping Beauty artwork all around it. And I love the versions of the popular songs from all the movies that yeah. it plays. Yeah. It's just In that, a beat yeah, slower yeah. and that brass sound. It just tugs at the heartstrings. Off topic. Have you been on the one in Santa Cruz? Uh, no, but, but I've seen walk? it and it's beautiful. It is. And you can throw things. You, you get these little oh, yeah. rings. Like you go by and you snag these rings and you're supposed to throw it at the wall. And there's like a little hole in the wall. And you're supposed to get it in the <laughs> hole in the wall. <laughs> it's crazy. I it's can crazy. see why they don't do that at Disneyland. Absolutely. That sounds Absolutely. like a, a nightmare. <laughs> Perfect for Santa Cruz. So this brings us to our final attraction in Fantasyland. And look at all the hits in Fantasyland that just keep on going. Mm-hmm. But the last attraction here that was opening day original was the Storybook Land Canal Boats. Uh, now, perfect. an interesting part of this one is the first uh, opening version of this. We didn't have any of the tiny buildings. We didn't even have any of the landscaping. In fact, uh, they referred to it as the Mud Bank Ride because you're just kind of mm. cruising around a canal in the mud. But this was one of those things, like the carousel that we just were over at, and um, uh, the the train and some of the other things we've looked at today. Mm-hmm. This was one of the things that Walt wanted to put in his magical little park, right? This was something that he wanted to build up in Burbank. And so when they put it together, they didn't have all the theming just right. But I think that it's good that it opened up being not so glamorous because the original idea yeah. was, is he wanted to use great landmarks of the world but they couldn't get Mm. that done when they finally would go in and detail it landscape it and put that in there they ended up going with locations from their their films and i think that makes it so much better than if it was little eiffel tower little big ben statue of liberty like i think the fact that we're we go through monstro and then we go through this little world of of storybook land and and all these stories and all these buildings and the scale of them is so amazing. Like, I, I think that this is one where we kind of lucked out that budget restrictions made them put it on pause because on pause they came up with a better idea. 
Yeah, that almost doesn't make sense for fantasy. I could see if it was like fantastical locations, you know, maybe from like mm. myths or something like that. Um, but uh, to do actual landmarks seems like that's very Epcot-y. Not, <laughs> it doesn't seem right in uh, in Fantasyland, you know, going around that. Was, um, was the Dumbo train in at that time? Was that in at the beginning or was that no. later? No, so the Casey Jr. Circus train wouldn't get rolling until July 31st. So they were oh, working okay, on it. Okay. They just didn't have yeah. it done. So close to being an opening day, but but just not quite there yet. And in fact, they, would, they just opened it up basically for opening day. And then after two mm-hmm. months, it closed. Um... To, to get its renovation. So it was just something that they were running light on time and, and, and on budget with. But I, yeah, I do like yeah. the idea that um, it went the way that it did and not the way that they had it planned. Mm-hmm. And I think that probably seeing people come into Disneyland and enjoying Fantasyland probably made them think, wait a minute, people don't want to see basically a, a, a small world, right? Like a cruise around the mm-hmm. world. People want to see more of this over there next to the boat. Yeah. So that probably informed the decision where they would want to go. The houses of Storybook Land are fitted with six-inch doors and quarter-inch mm-hmm. hinges. The doors all open and close because that's how the electricians get in to put the light bulbs in. That's adorable, right? <laughs> Isn't that I amazing? That. That's near-perfect scale yeah, right over it there. it really is. Between the boats and the tiny houses, huge people, huge ducks, uh, and then that little train going around, you know, it's as much part of that ride as anything else. Uh, it's its just, it's perfect. And I, I bet that's thats what that park would have looked yes. like, right? Probably a lot more of that, a lot longer train ride and stuff like that. That's the scale we probably would have seen there. And if we had more of a park like that, oh, man. I, you're totally right. Every like time that. I look at the 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 map of the Little Burbank Park, I think of just mm-hmm. endless storybook land, like that type of yeah. landscaping, that type of you know absolute use of all the land that you have. I mean, I love the way that Casey Jr. and the boats interact with each other. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm sad that I never got to ride over it in the sky bucket because that seems very cool yeah. when I look at uh, old yeah. footage and and photos of that. If you've ever seen the old sketch of the original idea of how they wanted to use Monstro, there was this sketch where you see Monstro and you see like this waterfall. And the original idea was that you would go through Monstro's mouth and then you would like fall out of a, a water ride. Right. And that right, didn't right. seem to work out. So they just used that idea of falling out of Monstro into a pond below. They just said, well, let's just put the boats through it. And I think that that part of the attraction makes it so iconic. And it's like every mm-hmm. time you're on that pathway that eventually becomes um, the, the Big Thunder Mountain Trail, it's it just yeah. like seeing Monstro during the day. He looks awesome. At night, he looks awesome. When he's lacking a paint job and looks a little beat up, he looks awesome. Like I love that corner of the park so much. Yeah, I know. Again, there's a great scale here. Everything's yes. so tight. Everything's very love close that. and stuff. You know, it doesn't have to make sense as much that uh, this whale is right next to Dumbo and across from Alice and things like that. It just works so well. But again, it's that scale like toys, like like miniatures, toys, something in between there. And it's just, it's perfect. That's why I love this land so yeah, much. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. From like Alice to Storybook Land, like that little run, that's probably what the Burbank mm-hmm. Park would have felt like. 
because it's yeah. all yeah, so yeah, yeah. like the teacups, the Alice over the storybook and the, the trail in between. It's so tight in there. And I think also what gives you that feeling is, you know, the storybook uh, lighthouse and then the, the mushroom mm-hmm. over in Alice. Those were old ticket booths. So it kind of has that yep. type of idea of there's just icons sitting in the trailway. And even though we don't go up there and buy A through E tickets, just having the vibe of those booths sitting around, it just kind of triggers your spidey senses that, you know, that there's business happening and that these are an active part of the land that you're walking around. Yep, absolutely. And the landscape's perfect. And then like the fences are a little shorter in these areas yeah. and everything. And, and just leading over to Matterhorn. And then, you know, by the time you get over to Small World, it's a, it's a different feel. But just that transition in and out of Fantasyland right there, which is a terrible place when a parade comes through. Um but um but just like right in that area especially at night when it's lit perfectly like that i just love the it. um fantasy land area right there that little nook it's kind of weird there's like mm-hmm. three levels of fantasy land well actually maybe four yeah because sleeping beauty both in the front in its courtyard and over by the peter pan tree and over by the fantasy fair that feels like one mm-hmm. neighborhood of fantasy land then 83 fantasy land the european village that feels kind of like its own thing. Mm-hmm. Dumbo is just kind of like floating on its own as a park icon. Yep. But Casey yeah. Jr. storybook and Alice, that to me all feels like a different template. And then on the backside, Small World, I know it's a part of Fantasyland. Thematically, it fits. <laughs> yeah. But Small World is kind right. of like its own animal back there. It is. It really is. Yeah. I mean, that facade itself, right? That's why I'd love for them to do more with Small World over in that corner. Make that a little Small World yeah. area somehow. But um, yeah, I, I, I never think of that as part of I really think of Fantasyland as that central hub too. around that. I do too. Thing. It's yeah, almost like so. that's the city center. And Alice is kind of like the people that live on the edge of town. And Small World's like the next town over, you know? Yeah. I yeah. would Kind of surprised they didn't do like a small world theater there or something. Like that. They could have done an international show and just made that like look more small worldy than than uh, the the you know they went back to kind of the more right. European look over there, but it doesn't match small world at all. I mean, so, I feel like they could take yeah. that shop out in front of small world. How do you feel about that? Um, if they move it somewhere else, make it a little <laughs> bit bigger, give it a little bit bigger <laughs> section for certain things. Yeah, I think it'd be good. <laughs> I love that. That's the thing that Jared's chaining himself to. I'm like, no, you cannot cut this nope. down. This has to stay here. <laughs> well, we have one last attraction to get to. Wow. Let's hop over here on the big Thunder Mountain Trail. And let's head over to the Rivers of America and go over to the Mark Twain, our final opening day attraction. And it's interesting. When we look at Fantasyland, that's the template of modern Disneyland themed after rides, themed after characters, after stories that we all know. The Disney Corporation that was groomed and grew up, that's now a multi-generational storytelling machine, you know? I mean, you and I have watched films when we were kids, that the audience watched when they were kids, that they've now watched with their kids, that their grandparents saw. You know, it's it, it goes on and on and on. But everything outside of that circle... The Jungle Cruise, Utopia, the Disneyland Railroad, Mark Twain, that's all Walt mimicking the world around us in a very fantasy, a very mixed scale, very mixed use way to create this little 
you know, utopia where when you go here, everything's a little bit happier. Food tastes a little bit better. The music's a little bit, you know, snappier. Like it's taking the real world, messing with the scale, putting it all real close together and just creating this emotional place that they've done such a good job 65 years later improving that tone keeping that tone and i think everything in the park for the most part follows that exact same template and they've done a very good job i think for 65 years of improving and preserving what made it great and getting rid of the things that eventually become just sort of you know attractions out of their time yeah that's true um it is a weird responsibility oh, to do yeah. that, right? There's so many things to take, you know, into consideration when you're doing that. And I think, again, like we said, specifically with Disneyland as opposed to some of the other parks, um, just because space is so precious and, and everything just feels so um, sacred here and, and things like that. But you're right. I, I think they've done a great job of maintaining the tone and sort of the sincerity of the thing, um, even with things like Galaxy's Edge, I think, which... Um, you know, it's kind of becoming this controversial thought to think that they are applying the exact same things to this land. It's just, you don't, you know, it depends on your nostalgia and your feelings towards the property, but what they've created over there still feels very much in line with what we've talked about today with some of these original um, attractions at the park, this, this type of storytelling, and uh, specifically at Disneyland. Yeah, I think when you look at any of the things on today's list, it's like, they're all masterpieces in entertainment. And all mm-hmm. of us have amazing memories. You know, I, I give Utopia a, a lot of flack, but if they take it out, I will for sure go down there and ride it the last time. And I'll always remember yeah. it. And when I take people through, I'll be like, so this is where Utopia sit. And it was Walt's vision of the highway system that we all take for granted. Like that will become a part of my Disneyland story. And it's like, just because you think something has expired and it has to go away doesn't mean there's not a part of you that doesn't love it or at least respect it and understand how it's important right, right. to the Disneyland story. But I think this is of a story course. that is multi-generational and it has to adapt to the next generations in front of it. Now, Jared, I know a lot of people are sad that Disneyland will be closed on July 17th mm. for the 65th anniversary. That's why yeah. I have decided to reopen the park. So Uh-oh. next Friday over on YouTube, over on Twitch, you can find me from 7 a.m. to 1 a.m. I am live streaming an entire operational day of Disneyland live for anybody to come and hang out with me. So I don't expect anybody to do all 18 hours. But sure. anytime next Friday that you feel like you want to go to Disneyland and celebrate the 65th, I will be there virtually. How am I doing this? Well, I'm doing it with reality of imagination and how we're doing that is Mm -hmm. i'll be using google maps to walk through the park so we can literally walk through the park it will sound like disneyland it will look like disneyland we'll use some of my own pov videos and pov pov videos over on youtube to ride attractions and my promise to you to make it feel real other than i can't completely control daylight versus sunlight but i will adhere the Disneyland schedule. So that means from 7 a.m. to 8 a.m., we can only stay on Main Street because we got to wait for that rope drop at 8. We will work our way around the park. We will observe the parades at their parade times. 
we will celebrate the fireworks at firework times. And then at midnight, nice. after we've rode our last attraction that we got on at 11.58 p.m., at the stroke of midnight, we'll hang out on Main Street and talk about what Disneyland means to us. So if you're missing the park, huh. I'm a maniac. I'm reopening it. If you want to celebrate it with me, the 65th anniversary, you can catch me for one minute or 18 hours on My Friday, gosh. July 17th. Will the shops on Main Street be opened an additional hour for our shopping Absolutely. convenience? Absolutely. I will follow all of the Disneyland rules. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. I feel like I know the schedule well enough to, 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 to adhere to it, to follow it. And then just to yeah. make sure. like So today, you and I celebrated all the opening day attractions. But next week's mm-hmm. episode of Disneyland for Designers, I'm taking the tour guide challenge. Philander oh. is going to give me some itineraries mm-hmm. and quiz me on if you had to get a family from this part of the park to this part of the park at this time of the day. And they want to do these three things. What's the route that you take? Nice. So that I can be ready to do the Brickyland tour on Friday in honor of 65 years of Disneyland. That can be a game show on Disney Plus that I would watch. (laughs) (laughs) You guys need to format this so that you can bring guests on. We can compete for random prizes. I would love this. I can't Knowing the Disneyland map, but also knowing it in conjunction with the schedule and with the people Mm -hmm. flow. And with all of the oddities of Disneyland, it is a true, true skill. And friends, when we do these laps out to the park each and every Wednesday, I'd never do one of these in a way that wouldn't actually be possible to walk the routes that we do. We don't just say, now all of a sudden we're over at Grizzly Flats and now we're over at Galaxy's Edge. Like everything follows the path of the park. And I love, love that challenge. Jared, thank you so much for joining me on another lap around Walt's original Magic Kingdom. It was fun looking at the class of 1955. Hmm. Question for you. Yes. I thought you were wrapping up there. I apologize. (laughs) I was, but then I wanted to, I'm, I'm intrigued. I wanted to know one more thing from you. Okay. Will downtown Disney open yes this week yes they're, they're gonna i'm go gonna say it. yes i i think yes uh you know again that doesn't mean it can't close down again rather suddenly True. um that's possible they didn't think I they think, were going to be able to keep it open you know. when the park was closed and after a couple of days they had to abandon that Right. Um, I think with this holiday weekend, it's going to be very telling. And I think we're going to have a before and after with this weekend uh, <laughs> being some sort of, uh, you know, turning point one way or the other. And we'll see. But I, I think I think they're going to open. Yeah, I feel like at this moment, they probably are unless Gavin rolls out something crazy early in the week that would say that, that it can't happen. But I really love that two weeks ago when you right. and I did the 10 safe spots. We were kind of hedging our bets in the up. Mm-hmm. Well, if they don't do it, we won't exactly be upset if they decide not to. And right. um, <laughs> man, from from Splash Mountain to uh, to to Disneyland on the seventeenth, we I, I think a lot of us kind of had a vibe that it was optimistic and it was awesome that they were thinking that they could do it. But I think that it feels I think it feels pretty good that they maybe put it on pause, especially with the way that things are going. 
Yep, safety first. Uh, I, I'd rather that do it at the right time than have to shut this whole thing down again for a month or two. So, yeah, I think let's just do what's best for everyone. And, you know, if going to Disneyland doesn't feel fun and safe, what's the point of going to right. Disneyland? Exactly. That's what you got to ask yourself. All right. Now, I'm officially saying thank you for taking another lap with me. And let's stop a yakket and hop on this Mark Twain and take a lap around the rivers of America. There you go, friends. Another lap around Walt's original Magic Kingdom with my good friend, Jared Mariyama. I hope you had a great time heading out to the park with each of us. It's, it's such an honor to take you out to the park each and every Wednesday. We'll be doing it again next Wednesday and over at twitch.tv slash AID Network. I've been doing little Disneyland virtual tours each and every Friday. I'll be doing one again this Friday from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Disneyland time. Essentially training for the big 18-hour stream on July 17th when I celebrate Disneyland turning 65 years young. You know, I often dream and fantasize what will it be like at the 100th anniversary just a long but probably feels very quick 35 years from this friday man so many great years of disneyland so many great memories so many people touch so many dreams come true ah getting ahead of myself i am getting ahead of myself and as a fun fact tonight i'm headed down to downtown disney to get back in inching my way back into the park I cannot wait to get there. I'll probably have a little bit of that footage to show everybody on this Friday as well. Thank you so much for showing up. Thank you for taking a lap with me. Whatever you do, don't stop believing in the magic. It is real, I tell you. And you should live that magic each and every day.